I think there's two big drivers of the guilt. Mm. Um, and it's the ex- expectations we had for ourselves. But then there's other things that are external where mm. you're not deciding it's you, <laughs> but society's deciding for you that it should be you. Like, oh, well, you know, who who's at the pediatrician? <laughs> mm. um, who's doing pickup and drop off? You know, who's the person who is arranging or volunteering or not volunteering. And it's those external requirements, right? That get kind of pushed onto us, um, either subtly or not subtly, where people start to feel a lot of guilt, right? They feel a lot of guilt in saying no. Hi, I'm Bridget Garsh, co-founder of Neighbor Schools and your host for Work Like a Mother, a podcast dedicated to real conversations with incredible women juggling work, life, and motherhood. Today, I'm so excited to sit down with Leslie Ford, founder, Mom's Hierarchy of Needs. When you check out Leslie's website, she has a whole section on dilemmas moms face. I've never felt more seen than when I read this one. The way moms have to prioritize time never really leaves any time on the table for self-care, personal or professional growth, the top priorities, kids' milestones, activities, household, etc. are perpetual. They're never really done. If you know me, or if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know I'm a pretty type A goal-driven person. I have to-do lists for everything, which is why it's so frustrating to have never-ending chores like laundry or picking up Legos or figuring out snacks. Literally, the moment you think the task is done and off your list, poof, there are more clothes in the hamper or on the floor next to the hamper if you're my husband, but that's a topic for a different day, or the kids are hungry again, or the Legos are all over the floor. It's relentless and makes it so hard to feel like I can put aside my to-do list and take a minute for myself. I felt this way for forever, but I've never really been able to name it. So I'm glad Leslie described it so perfectly. And even better, she has tips for carving out time for yourself, despite the never-ending to-do list. A male colleague once asked Leslie, why are moms always so stressed? Leslie grabbed a sheet of paper and scribbled down her first draft of her mom's hierarchy of needs. Leslie responded, moms are stressed because they prioritize everyone else's needs before themselves. Self-care happens only once everyone else's needs are met. Leslie quit her job to focus full-time on helping moms prioritize their own self-care. Leslie has talked to countless moms through her research and study and has transformed mom's hierarchy of needs into a new business, helping employers retain working parents and create inclusive workplaces where caregivers can thrive. Well, I am so excited you're here and I really look forward to hearing and learning more about your journey and story. You have done so much in Mm -hmm. your career to bring you to the point of starting mom's hierarchy of needs. 
Can you walk us through that journey that brought you to that moment of, of launching? Absolutely. Well, I mean, I completely crashed after my daughter was born, my second child, and burned out like in a really big way at work. So that was kind of the impetus or the start. And I'll kind of explain how it all played out. But, you know, I had, I've been someone who never even needed a lot of sleep, right? I always, I always had like an incredible amount of energy. And somehow I had this like, this fictitious image in my head that having each child would have like this very, like I would have a maternity leave and then I'd be like right back to the way everything was, right? I just didn't anticipate how different it would be in terms of everything, right? That I was doing in my life. So I had taken on a big promotion right before I was pregnant with my second. I had some nervousness about it, to be honest, because I knew that there would be this gap in time where I wouldn't have a chance to get to know my new team. And the company moved at warp speed as, as most companies do these days. So right before I came back, my then manager said, um, you know, you're really your most senior person on your team. She is taking on a new role in a different division now. And by the way, we can't backfill her because we're trying to demonstrate profitability. And oh, and those open recs that we had, we we have to close them. We can't keep them open because we have to demonstrate profitability. Wow. And when I came back within probably a few months of that, I had a few different people all from one area of my team who had to go out on FMLA leave completely unplanned, just mm-hmm. completely um, you know, unfortunate and random circumstances. So suddenly I felt like I was in a new job, in effect, <laughs> like right. the whole, everything had changed. Um, all the conditions of my work had changed. I was short-staffed and I was in a, like in a role where I was being asked to bring my most strategic, thoughtful, clear self. And I was depleted. I was exhausted, right? I was sleeping in one hour increments. I had a newborn and a toddler and it was, it was draining me because I thought the answer was just to work harder, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because that's how we're that's how we're all conditioned, right? So I just thought, okay, I'll, I'll just work hard. I'll just work my way out of this problem because that was how I tended to rise in my career in the years before kids. So I'd be typing away, you know, the computer. I try to shield the co sleeper from the glow. Um, you know, one a.m., two a.m., three a.m., four a.m., and it became so bad where you know, I would just drive to the office, which was nearly an hour away. And I wouldn't remember getting there. Um, Or I would get to the office and realize I'd left either the breast pump Mm -hmm. or like the the charging cord or some part for it at home. And I would have to drive all the way back. And it was like the first time in my life that people who didn't know me told me that I looked bad. Like, they're like, are you okay? You don't look well. Like, so it was a, it was like this really dramatic crash 
that felt like it was happening in slow motion, mm-hmm. right? From, from the inside at the time that it was happening. And then it just became unsustainable for me to continue working in that way and working at a job that I once absolutely loved. Um, so I did a like a huge downshift. <laughs> I went to a much larger company. Um, I took a huge pay cut. I negotiated a four-day work week and I had one direct report instead of two big departments. So it allowed me to really like rebuild my like life, my sanity, right? Return to being able to think a thought (laughs) in a clear way. And it was in that journey, which still took like over two years of recovering from burnout, that I was approached by a, uh, a founder of a startup for mental health. And he was a dad, still is a dad. Um, And he, and he's a good guy. And he asked, you know, well, why are moms so stressed? Because we were talking about mental health and that was the product space they were in. They, I did some advisory work for them. And we talked about moms as a market, right? Because most of my work life prior to this was really in launching new products and, and still using research like I do for mom's hierarchy of needs, but using research to, develop new products and strategy and kind of innovation. So I said, well, you know, let, how much time do you have? <laughs> and, and we just got into a conversation. I said, you know, there's Maslow's hierarchy of needs and then there's mom's hierarchy of needs. And as soon as I said it, like I felt it, something, something just clicked. Like it, it, it was something I became incredibly curious about. So I just drew the mom's hierarchy of needs on a little sheet of paper that evening And I turned it into a PowerPoint. And then I just got curious about how other moms would define it. It's like, would theirs look the same way? Would Mm -hmm. they define it differently? So research being in my roots um, and part of my career and even pre-resume, I started my, I started working my way through high school and college as a market researcher. So I reached out and created a small survey and it was about 150 moms later it evolved to what it looks like now. And when I saw visually, like when I drew it for that first time, it changed my life because I visually saw that I was trying to do the impossible. Like all the things at the bottom that are our priorities, our children's health and their well being and their milestones and their education. <laughs> and then you look at like the next layer, our household role and everything that we have going on there. Mm-hmm. And then our professional role right? That's the, like, that's two thirds of the mom's hierarchy of needs framework. And then at the very tippy top, right, way up there, um, you know, healthy adult relationships, self-care, right, which in my pyramid includes sleep, (laughs) Uh, interests, fun, learning, like all the things that we would do for our mental, physical, and emotional health, they're way up at the top. And the reason that we never prioritize them It's because everything at the bottom is never done. Mm. And for so many years, right? Like we're just conditioned to think, well, when it's all done, Mm -hmm. then I will read that book, call that friend, go for that run, see that movie, pursue that PhD, you know, whatever it is that you want to do. But after kids, like you don't have discretionary time anymore. I mean, you don't, (laughs) it's like, you have to you have to like forcefully carve out the time mm-hmm. and guard it 
with no one will sit you down and say, you know, honey, you know, you're, and my husband's a lovely man, but you know, no one's going to sit down with me and say, you look tired. You look busy. Can we help? Like, can we support you? Like no one will do that for you. So you actually have to forcefully carve out the time. So I became very ruthless about my schedule and making space for those activities at the top. And that's what gradually allowed me to rebuild and to recover and to kind of resume being myself. So that's the story. Wow. Just incredible. Thanks so much for sharing. So once you realize that self-care is so far down the priority list for moms, what was your next move? I wanted to learn everything that I could about all the internal reasons. I wasn't giving myself permission to make space for those activities at the top. Like what's stopping me? Why is this so hard? Um, so I started interviewing amazing experts like you know, doctors, researchers, um, in all areas of like mental well-being, physical well-being. And then in that in that process, I also started thinking about all the societal challenges, right? Because it's we are giving ourselves a certain permission, but we're living in this ecosystem and this environment where the mom job has a definition. And we see that definition all the time. It's every, I mean, this was right before the pandemic. I remember because I was still physically going to the gym. I run outside now every day. Um, But back when I used to run indoors when the weather was bad, I remember like there was a vacuum commercial, you know, very well-known vacuum company. And everyone using a vacuum was a woman. Mm -hmm. There was a man who was a spokesperson talking about the vacuums and how great they were, but only women were using the vacuums. And it's true that in most households, that is what happens. But aspirationally, that's not what we should be seeing. That's not where we should be in 2021. But the mom job is like this big, impossible job. Like we're being told from everything we see that we should have complete control of our kids. Mm -hmm. We should have complete control of the house. Um, And by the way, it should be pristine and the house beautiful crew should be able to drop in at any time and take pictures. And we should have these ambitious, extraordinary careers that we are constantly growing in and developing in. Oh, and we should look perfect while we're doing it. And we should have a great attitude about all the energy that we're expending, kind of serving our families and serving everyone around us. So that's the story and we begin to believe that's the mom job. And a lot of us saw our moms and grandmothers do this, right? So we kind of stepped in with this template, but you don't realize the template doesn't work until you're in it. And until you really start to be pulled away mm-hmm. from your identity, from your sense of self, when it's not fun anymore, right? When you're losing joy, despite oftentimes, at least for me, I was so like I put a lot of work into having kids. It was not easy for us. I had everything I wanted, but I was becoming extraordinarily unhappy and unhealthy. So I wanted to understand what was driving that for me, what was driving that for other mothers, and then what are all the systems reasons, the culture of work, the culture of motherhood, like what are all the big picture reasons that this is so hard? So that's what I've been studying, this intersection between stress, self-care, and growth. And how did your work evolve during the pandemic? And last year in the pandemic, when I 
became a full-time entrepreneur by accident, I started also looking at this for employers in the workplace. Um, and in those studies where I'm researching like employee populations and doing work for organizations, then my audiences are much more balanced. Like it's very 50-50 male and female. Um, overwhelmingly, the research studies that I launched for Moms Hierarchy of Needs, like the National Pandemic Study, those are overwhelmingly mothers still, but I always have a small percentage of dads who participate. So I've just been learning a lot about how environment changes this journey for us, how we can change this journey for ourselves. And I'm trying to like just preach from every rooftop all the things that we can do, <laughs> right? Because it's like, there's a lot of reasons this is hard, but we wanted, I, I needed to know that there was something I could do today. There was something I could do this week, this month, this year to make my circumstances manageable, more bearable, and more joyful. Um, I didn't want to wait <laughs> for the Calvary to come because the Calvary may not come for years, right? And so that's my message to mothers, especially who are in the paid workforce and heavily responsible for this huge amount of unpaid work in the home. There is so much to unpack in everything that you just shared and so much to talk about. I want to pause for a minute because I think you said something that was so important about burnout. And as you think about your own personal experience now and look at back on that time, what were some of the flags maybe that you missed? What were some of the things that would have signaled to you, you know, I can't just work harder to get myself out of this. Or I think a lot of moms think I'll just figure it out, right? Like we're so mm -hmm. used to, especially with a newborn baby, figuring it out. Like we don't know, is it, are they hungry? Are they tired? Are they teething? Are they this? I'm just going to figure it out and then it will get better. And then we start to apply that thought process to everything as if I'm going to figure it out and then I'll be able to cope with all of these intense demands on, on me right at this moment. So can you share a bit more about sort of your, your burnout and what were some of those early signs so that people can catch it earlier? Absolutely. Well, and you know, you stated it beautifully, like we are used to dealing with a huge amount of change and adapting very quickly. I think moms are like multitasking, time-bending magicians, right? And so we kind of get into a group of figuring things out to your point, um, but there's a downside to that, right? It, it does have a cost. For me, some of the early signs that I wish now, and now I do pay attention to if I feel like a recurrence, um, was being really forgetful forgetting a lot of things, right? Like there were just in either something in like forgetting to bring the breast pump to the office. Right. There's so much cognitive overload, right? And the, and the mental load for moms, which was one of my first big studies, which changed my life learning how that works, right? But the cognitive overload is so huge that your brain can only fit so much in uh, in your working memory. And a lot of stuff just gets pushed off the shelf. Um, so 
I was trying to cram too much on the shelf and it was affecting kind of how I did things. So that was one. Um, I was losing like enthusiasm Mm. for a lot of things that I would have normally been enthusiastic about. So that was another sign. Mm -hmm. Also people telling me that I looked bad, like I should have paid attention to that. That was another signal, right? Like, oh, like you are looking not yourself to outside people, not just feeling bad internally. And I was becoming irritable and just extremely, I started to feel really trapped mm. with the life that I constructed. So all of those things, I think, were signs that I really just kept kind of dismissing, like, oh, it'll be, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'll get through this, right? I have another, I had another child. Mm-hmm. Also, something that no one tells you is how hard childcare is. No one tells you that. <laughs> and, and I think you assume that if you have worked really hard in your career, mm-hmm. and if you have the savings, and if you have the salary, and if you are fortunate enough to be able to afford childcare, um, that if you can afford it, like anything else you can afford, you can procure it. Childcare, different deal different story. Um, you know, you, you may be able to afford it and still have a lot of difficulty finding it and finding the right childcare and finding reliable childcare. In hindsight from the burnout and having now spent all this time researching these issues, like those are the things that moms need to know. Yeah. Like there is not some, you know, magical place where you step into back into your work life or back into your career identity and you have these little people with you and everything is just like smooth sailing, right? You're just adjusting to these new things. And it's incredibly fraying uh, to feel those adjustments in real time. Um, Even though in hindsight, you learn a lot from them and you benefit from them in the moment, it's incredibly painful and destabilizing. Well, I'm so glad that you mentioned childcare specifically given our work at neighbor schools, because part of my personal experience um, was similar in the sense of my husband and I just really never thought about childcare. We thought we both work hard. We both have good paying jobs. This is, we can afford it, which is actually a question uh, Mm -hmm. because even with good paying jobs, you know, Childcare can cost $40,000 a year per child. Mm-hmm. And that was really that those that oh, realization of how broken our childcare system is, was such an inspiration for the work that we do at, at neighbor schools in a way that we're trying to affect and change the system to be more supportive of working parents, especially working mothers. And one thing that you just said, which really struck me was this internalized notion of, I can't handle it. Like, oh, what a powerful and horrible like phrase that it just hit me to my core when you said it, because it really tapped into how I think so many moms feel this idea of something is wrong with me 
that I'm not able to make this entire juggle work rather than focusing on the systems not being set up to make us be successful. So uh, thank you for sharing yeah. that that and putting it so, so eloquently. Thank you. Well, it's a it's a game changer when you start to look at it that way. Mm. Um, you forgive yourself for whatever whatever the things are um, that you wanted to do, thought you should do, all the shooting, you know, all of that, you start to forgive yourself for it when you realize that you are operating in this imperfect system. And I think moms and, and dads, right, caregivers, because I think there's a, this crisis of care, which you well know, right? Like there's the child care aspect, which is a very particular set of needs, um, but there's elder care. Mm-hmm. Um, during the COVID crisis, as I've seen in the study and in the research, like so many people have had to care for spouses, mm-hmm. loved ones, like caring for a child and being able to afford it and being able to find it is incredibly hard. And it does strain you. I also think that the identity piece, what I see again in, in my study and in the data, it's just everyone wants to be excellent at everything. Mm-hmm. Right. So that I like when that I can't handle it feeling comes from this place of feeling like, well, I want to be an excellent mom, right? I want to be an excellent partner. I want to be an excellent daughter to my aging parents. I want to be an excellent friend and sister, and I want to be an excellent worker. I want to be excellent, right? And then, but the actual real-time trade-offs that you have to make when you have to say no to something that you would love to say yes to, when you have to do something 50% that you would have done 100% before, right? But it's one of example of the thousands of things that we decide to let go of or modify or adjust. And after you've done that about a thousand times, right, it does cumulatively start to feel really stressful because you think, well, who am I? <laughs> it's like, if I'm not, if I'm not doing these things that I always thought were really important and that I always valued, like, who am I then? But you become someone new, (laughs) you become someone resilient, Mm -hmm. Um, you become someone who adapts in a way that protects your sanity and protects your health. And if you are doing things 50% instead of 100% or 30%, 20% if you can, instead of 100%, and that allows you to get an extra hour of sleep, that allows you to play with your kids instead of doing an extra 10 dishes, if that allows you to be able to write a blog post and you really want to write, or it allows you to see a friend, like do those things, right? Mm -hmm. Don't don't prioritize the things that at the end of your day, at the end of your month, at the end of your year, aren't really going to matter to you. And everyone gets to pick what those things are. What other ways do you see, I mean, this sort of taps into this idea of guilt overall, right? With parenting and and especially mom guilt. It sounds so easy to say, I'm not going to feel guilty for X, but to actually feel it is such a different story. What else have you heard from other moms? What else have you experienced on ways to let go of mom guilt? 
Mm, oh, such a good topic. Well, you know, it's interesting. What I have seen, right? There's, I think there's two big drivers of the guilt. Mm. Um, and it's the ex- expectations we had for ourselves. Like I had this, I had this image of the birthday party experience that was in part based on my own childhood and what my mother did growing up and also what I aspirationally wanted to do. But then there's other things that are external where you are not deciding it's you, (laughs) but society is deciding for you that it should be you like, oh, well, you know, who, who's at the pediatrician? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Who's doing pick up and drop off? You know, who's the person who is arranging or volunteering or not volunteering. And it's those external requirements, right? That get kind of pushed onto us um, either subtly or not subtly where people start to feel a lot of guilt, right? They feel a lot of guilt in saying no. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm an active volunteer in my community for a number of different things, but I have found over the years and particularly in the pandemic, there are things that I would have taken on where like an email goes around, hey, can someone do X? There are things that I want to take on where I've really had to say no. Um, And that is, I'm okay with it (laughs) because I also know the cost of saying yes, Mm. right? I know that if I burn out and I, you know, go back into this place where I am not physically healthy, mentally healthy, emotionally healthy, like that's not good for anyone. It's certainly not good for my family. It's not good for my business. It's not good for my neighbors or my school district, the people who are in my community, right? That's not good. And I can serve people in certain ways. And I have some categories in my head. Like I know the types of things that are the most meaningful systems priorities for me that I, that I volunteer around changing. Um, so I have like a list of things that I consider really important And there are the types of things that I also consider important that I don't feel I need to personally Mm -hmm. take on. Um, So I have kind of my own set of rules, I guess, around where I will volunteer time and where I won't. And also in my professional life, the type of work that I will take on and the kind of work that I won't. Um, But it's that outside pressure. And often, so I did a study on boundaries maybe three or four years ago. It was really fascinating because people set boundaries or feel comfortable with boundaries or feel guilt around uh, not being able to honor boundaries for very different reasons. Like there's some people where if an, if it's a strain, this was, I thought, fascinating from the study. So there were some moms in this, this study, I think was pretty much all moms, small number of dads. But if for some, if it was an outside person that they barely knew, they felt much more comfortable setting the boundary. It's like, oh, I don't know you. There's no skin in the game. If you judge me, I don't care. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm going to set that boundary and I'm going to walk away and not let it not let it bother me. Whereas others, it was the exact opposite. Hmm. Um, if it was somebody close to them and somebody who really knew them, like someone in their family or a close friend, they felt much more comfortable setting the boundary because it was someone who really knew them and was invested in them. And they felt like they could be themselves and honor their personal boundaries. And so people have really subjective measures for what triggers 
difficulty setting boundaries. So I think understanding your personal triggers is the best advice I could give around managing guilt. Because if you know what your categories are (laughs) and what your like hot zones are, create some rules so that you're not like, you know, wrestling with guilt every time you have to make that decision. I think know what those zones are, decide what your rules are, and then you're not revisiting your personal Mm -hmm. boundaries every time. Like you have some categories where you know you're going to say yes, and then you have a larger list of categories where you know you're going to say no. That's my. And you're saving time actually by structuring it that way because the time that you're saving that of that mental load and processing is this something that I'm going to take on gets smaller and smaller and smaller and so that is time you get back even in the decision making process not just the volunteering. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. Absolutely. So when I started researching the mental load, which was the first big study, Mm. um, I started looking at all these like neuroscience reasons that drive stress. And um, the mental load and cognitive overload is one. There's like kind of a sneaky cousin decision fatigue. If you have ever heard about, and most people have, right? Like Steve Jobs, who used to be, of course, the Apple founder, and he would always wear black, you know, Mm -hmm. t-shirt and black pants because he didn't want to waste precious brain space deciding what to wear every day. He Mm -hmm. just had a uniform in effect. And it turns out like biologically, we have a limit to how many decisions we can make in a day. And most of us, depending on what line of work you're in, um, if you're in almost any field, you are likely being paid to think and to make decisions um, and to solve problems. And if you are nibbled to death by, is it the blue sippy cup or the red sippy cup? Or am I going to say yes? Or am I going to say no to this email invitation? And I'm staring at it and revisiting it for five days in a row, thinking of all the things I could say. I've pushed certain things like Instacart, Zappos, all of those draining shopping tasks. I push them to late at night when my brain is already fried because I do not want to waste like precious prime you know, I'm a researcher and a writer and those right. things are super greedy. They take up a ton of brain space. So I try to push anything that's not critical to late in the day. And similarly with boundaries, having a set of rules or criteria helps save precious energy, mental energy. I nev- I've never thought of it this way, but with my three and a half year olds, we've started enlisting him to make the decision. So rather than me picking out or my husband picking out the shoes or the helmet or the whatever thing he needs is to say, here, here are the choices you pick. You're going to be happier. We're (laughs) not spending any time on it. Um, But I've never thought of it in the context of like, that's, that's one less decision that we actually have to make. Oh, I love that example. That's excellent. That's Um, excellent. Well, Leslie, I could talk to you all day. Um, You have shared so many helpful pieces of information, helpful frameworks to help us think through our time, our our needs, our wants. Um, Thank you for, for sharing time with me and with all of us. I have one final question for you, and it involves going back in time. What advice would you give your pre mom self? I would tell her 
I haven't thought about this question before. I, I think I would tell her to be prepared to expand her definition of success mm. and be prepared to have a nonlinear path to success. I had a fairly rigid construct of what success meant pre-kids, and I thought of it very much in career terms, and I thought of it as linear, and I thought, well, if I put in these inputs, like if I'm honest and hardworking and I apply my time, and then I will be rewarded with hmm. right increased responsibilities, increased compensation, um, you know, increased tenure and longevity and job security. But the work world doesn't work that way anyway. <laughs> and success is more than work and paid work, right? Success is much bigger than that. And life success is much bigger than that. And even if the work world um, were, let's say, even if it did work that way, the way I thought it did, it certainly doesn't work that way for you after you have children. Mm -hmm. um, so those things would have been wonderful to know pre-kids. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you. Well, this was a really fun conversation. I appreciate being invited. Work Like a Mother is produced by Neighbor Schools. Neighbor Schools is a startup in Boston that I co-founded in 2018 to help parents find daycare. As a first-time parent, finding childcare can feel scary and intimidating. At Neighbor Schools, we help you find daycare you'll feel really good about so you can go back to work with the peace of mind that your little one is getting the socialization, support, and stimulation they need to learn and grow. We've helped thousands of moms and dads figure out the daycare search. Check us out at neighborschools.com. And when you get in touch, mention that you discovered us on the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. We'll see you next time.